Hi, everyone, and welcome to session three in our Appetite for Change series. I'm Carissa McKay, joined again by Heather Grow-Miller, and we're two of your health promotion specialists in Edmonton. In this session, we're going to explore our relationship with food. For many people, it is a love-hate relationship filled with guilt and shame, repeated in a cycle that leads to more guilt and shame. That cycle can be affected by our inability to identify not only what types of hunger you might be experiencing, and we're going to break those down for you, but also whether we recognize that there are actually situations that lead us to using food as a way of dealing with something or as a reaction to or avoidance of something. It's a complicated relationship and a complicated dance that we do that can impact our ability to be living on the other side of that finish line. And you can bet your bottom dollar that some of what factors into these choices that we make are influenced by the conversations that we have with ourselves and others and the systems that we do or don't have in place that will help or hinder our success. So today, we're going to be moving a little more deeply into the reasons that we eat from the physiological need for food to every other reason under the sun. I only eat chocolate on days that end in Y. For some people, eating food are non-issues and they are the lucky ones who can eat when they are hungry and stop when they are full. It is easier to manage life when you're not always fighting with yourself about what or why or how you are eating. So let's start with this question. Why do you eat? Identifying why we eat is critical to changing our relationship with food. There are many reasons why we eat ranging from hunger to boredom to cravings to duress. We all have that well-meaning grandmother or auntie that expresses love by feeding us. And how can you resist those foods that taste like love or risk disappointing your sweet well-intentioned loved one. If we can think of hunger as being categorized into three different categories, it might be easier to think about our reasons and where they might fit. Stomach hunger. Stomach hunger is the physical need for food. It's been five or six hours since you've last eaten. Your stomach is growling. You are eating for the well-being of your body. Stomach hunger also refers to times when you might eat for a medical reason or to support your workouts. Mouth hunger. Mouth hunger is referring to a food craving. When you're standing in front of the fridge or cupboard looking for something to eat with a certain taste or texture, you're feeling snackish, or I'd really like some crunchy chips, or I'd really like something creamy and sweet like ice cream. And then there's heart hunger. Heart hunger is when you are eating because of your emotions or how you are feeling mentally. It can also be a learned behavior around food. For example, my spouse hurt my feelings and within a short period of time, I find myself looking in the cupboard or I've been stuck at home for over a year and I am so bored. I keep finding myself looking in the fridge or I finally got that project done and I'm gonna reward myself with a pizza and a beer. All of those reasons are at their core, triggers or activators as we are now calling them, many of which became at some point a learned behavior. For most people, the type of hunger that crops up the most often is heart hunger. It's the reason that recreational eating has become a thing. It's boredom, stress, anger, anxiety, or some combination of those that led us to eating. And generally, it's not going to be carrot sticks that we are after. Exactly. Because the thing is, without necessarily knowing the nutrition science, people, for the most part, do inherently know what they should eat and what they shouldn't. They know that when they're feeling snackish, they should eat a carrot. They might not know exactly why or where they might have learned that, 
but they all do know that a bucket of KFC or a chocolate cake are not wholesome, nutritious choices, but rather treats or special event items. It's all that other stuff that goes into wanting to eat that chocolate cake or those several pieces of chicken. That's way more difficult to unpack. And we know that these not food issues are way more challenging to overcome in the long term. And it's only when those are addressed that any of the nutrition fact, knowledge or diet stuff really sticks. It really isn't just as simple as following your macros or counting calories. And if you would like more on that, definitely check out our other podcast, which you can find on our Calf Connection page. It's not just that easy. Though a lot of people don't often stop and think about the role that food plays for them, in many cases, it is serving a purpose that isn't simply about satisfying physical hunger. What is it that you might be craving without even knowing or consciously having identified it as such? It may depend on what the circumstances are around your present situation. So consider being post-injury and you're craving a return to normal activity or life or feeling strong, or maybe you're facing retirement and you're craving fulfillment, productivity, meaning, a sense of purpose, or maybe you're post-baby and you're craving some feeling of normal activity or having some kind of schedule or routine, or maybe it's fear and anxiety brought on by any number of things and you're craving control, calm, comfort. And there are situations like the pandemic that further amplify these situations and make it even more challenging to work through. Working from home or having to self-isolate or quarantine, no routine or schedule so you don't know what you need to do with your time or your day are challenges that often make controlling those different types of hunger more difficult and play havoc even when we are trying to make good choices. In the tab where you found this episode, if you're looking on our CAF Connection page, there are also links to handouts. There is a great activity from a program called Craving Change that we encourage you to do. It will help to start to shed light on the habits, rituals, behaviors that you employ or rely on in certain situations. The idea is to start recognizing that sometimes what we really need isn't a Big Mac or a chocolate shake or a piece of pie. It's what those things represent. Love, acceptance, comfort. So seek out the real thing. Everyone deserves to have those things. As difficult as it is to always be fully aware of our behaviors, especially those intricately connected to habits and rituals, try to become purposeful in recognizing why you're choosing to eat something. It isn't meant to be obsessive. If it's lunchtime, you're probably hungry. But if you aren't hungry, could you wait? Just think about what is going on for a minute and decide what kind of hunger, if any, you are experiencing. When we think of things like cotton candy at a fair or family get-togethers or buffets, for some people, they may not only be events that people experience and participate in, but triggers that lead to difficulties making good choices or that are a catalyst to a complex reaction to food. Remember that it isn't all about the food. It is about the connection that food has for us as it relates to family, gatherings, traditions, memories, etc. It's all about the taste and the association with events or with how ice cream can make us happy. When we learn to let go of the notion that there are good and bad foods or that we 
are good or bad for eating certain foods. It relieves us of some of the negative emotion from a process that is supposed to be enjoyable and pleasurable. We need to feel good about eating. We all have emotional junk from something, from our childhood, from a recent event, from a more distant event. Or there may be some that have left scars on us that we have soothed with food. We need to acknowledge those things and see the connection and be able to eat for the joy of eating and learn how to deal with those other hurts in a way that is more productive and more likely to see you on the other side of that finish line. And even though for a lot of people, it might be just as simple as recognizing, geez, over the pandemic, I seem to have, you know, put on the proverbial COVID-19. And it's really just a question of identifying what were those behaviors that led to that to happen and then undo those behaviors. And over time, those COVID-19 might go away. Unfortunately, those processes that Heather just talked about are really common and probably more so than people would care to admit. So it's not always just as easy as put on 19 pounds, take off 19 pounds. It's important to remember that those complex problems don't happen to everybody all the time, but it does happen to a lot of people a lot of the time. It's, as we said, a really complex set of actions and reactions. But the fact remains that it is a reality for some and food often acts as both an activator and ironically, a coping strategy. And don't fool yourself because food can absolutely become a coping strategy. And as you become more aware of your eating activators, you may notice that it is when you are with, for example, certain people or in particular circumstances or situations, or when specific events occur, that that is when you are more likely to eat in a way that is problematic. So again, it doesn't have anything to do with the food itself. Sometimes it's simply the circumstance that activates uncomfortable eating. Other times the situation or event will lead to difficult feelings such as anxiety, anger, or boredom which in turn can result in that uncomfortable eating. The trouble with food as a coping strategy is that it very rarely ends up with you saying, I just need one chocolate to help me get out of this funk from having a super crappy day at work. And almost always ends up with many chocolates being eaten and those immediate feelings of relief from the release of dopamine shifting to feelings of guilt and shame as you look upon the remains of that empty box or package. That is what differentiates the idea of, I feel like a cookie or a chocolate, which could be heart or mouth hunger, as Heather described, to something that more resembles, I need a cookie or chocolate because I am angry, sad, frustrated, etc. It may sound semantic because if at the end of the day, you ate the cookie or chocolate anyway, isn't it a moot point? It's not because it wasn't an automatic response. You stopped, you thought about it, and then you made the decision. You felt like a cookie or a chocolate and you ate it, regardless of what the motivation behind it might have been. You thought about it first. With time and practice and a concerted effort, it will be easier to say, I'm so mad right now. That conversation was so unfair. I need a chocolate bar to... I'm so mad right now. That conversation was so unfair. I'm going for a walk. The habit of automatically stuffing down that cookie or chocolate to stop the frustration or hurt will have been changed. Even if after you went for that walk, you decided, hmm, I kind of feel like a chocolate or a cookie. And that is still a win. That's exactly it, Carissa. And unfortunately, we have all learned to associate foods with something other than simple nourishment. We have developed certain habits based on routine, traditions, expectations. Those become learned behaviors. When two things are paired together repeatedly, 
we learn to associate one with the other. But also, for example, movies and popcorn go hand in hand. But also, for example, movies and popcorn go hand in hand. But also anxiety... <laughs> for example, movies and popcorn go hand in hand. But also anxiety and cookies might become a paired response. For sure. And it's really kind of funny how those things sometimes become that paired response. For example, when I get home from work, whether that's leaving the kitchen table to move to the kitchen to make supper or coming home from being in the office, and I didn't have a decent lunch and I'm kind of hungry. What has happened is even when I'm not hungry, when I was hungry, I would just look around and what was there to eat. And rather than making a snack, I would reach for the bag of munchie mix or container of munchie mix that happened to be there. And I would just shovel it in to my face as I was cooking supper. So now even when I get home and I'm not hungry, I walk into the kitchen. And if that bag or box or container of munchie mix is there, guess what happens? So it's a very subtle sometimes insidious way that it happens. And we just need to be aware that it's happening because then we can change the environment. I can move the munchie mix out of the kitchen so that when I get home, whether I'm hungry or not, it's not the first thing that I see. And therefore it's not the first thing that I do instead of just focusing on making supper. Exactly. And it's related to that stomach, mouth and heart hunger, but now we're taking it one step further and identifying that sometimes something or someone actually triggers us to eat primarily because of heart hunger. Something's happened that causes us to look for comfort, joy, release, escape in food, as opposed to being able to be in the moment and recognize what's going on. When you very consciously choose to break the emergency glass, to get the spoon, to eat the haagen then that is no longer a knee-jerk reaction and is a very deliberate decision to enjoy something delicious and not a band-aid for a wound or a worry or a fight. Whether it's your mother-in-law or your grandma, the office potluck or the speeding ticket you just pulled out of the mailbox, we all have things that are going to be potentially activating and cause some sort of food response. There are a lot of things that make us react and sometimes that means we lash out and we say things we don't mean to people who do not deserve it. And sometimes it means that we polish off an entire pie. Get to know yourself on a deeper level. Recognize what makes you pick up the fork and then decide, am I or am I not going to eat this? Exactly. The important thing is to remember that you have options. You decided to break the glass to get to the spoon to eat the haagen dots. Nobody else did. We really want to reinforce the idea that it is not because food is good or bad. The haagen dots is not the problem, nor is your decision to eat the haagen dots. It's the motivation behind why you chose to do that. It's a conscious decision and it's because you have options. If you're ticked off or hurt and you think a bowl full of broccoli is going to be just the thing to make you feel better than win-win, the worst that'll happen is that you might end up with an upset stomach. But the thing is, it's not generally how it works. We don't typically feel like a bowl full of broccoli. We think that a piece of pie is going to make us feel better. And that is that connection that we want people to become really, really aware of. Because while having a slice of pie is perfectly acceptable under normal circumstances, it is not necessarily a healthy coping strategy to numb the pain or ease the frustration or soothe a wounded ego. We've alluded to this before, but any change takes time. 
And it's going to take a while for the new strategies that you're hopefully trying out to stick to become habit or ritual or behavior. So you need to be patient with yourself and cut yourself a little slack. And if you oops once in a while, that just means you're human. When you catch yourself standing at the fridge, looking for answers, and then closing the door and going for a walk, you'll know you're on the right track. Catch yourself being good and give yourself a pat on the back because we all need that positive reinforcement from ourselves as much as we need it from others, perhaps more so. Just to let you know what we have for you on the A4C tab of the website with respect to handouts, there are three handouts associated with this podcast. Um, And they are more self-reflection, which will be directly under the podcast link on our CAF Connection page. The first one is geared towards helping you identify those three types of hunger as you have experienced them. The second is a list of reasons why a person might choose to eat. One of the things to remember is that even if you don't have a weight problem, you can still have a food problem. You can be super fit and lean and have issues with food and all the stuff that is associated with it. Guilt, shame, embarrassment. Men often think they are immune to this, but no, their body image issues are often different than those experienced by women. But as with changing anything, you have to be able to confront the issue before you can try to tackle it. So holding yourself accountable and trying to get a better sense of what is going on with you and for you are how you can start to address and move forward from them. There are also two suggested YouTube links if you are on the Calf Connection page. The first one is the real math behind weight loss. And the second is why we eat too much video. When you're looking through the handouts, be sure to look at the different strategies that might help to shift the moment away from needing to eat something now, getting to the bottom of what is going on, and then deciding very deliberately whether you do in fact want the chocolate bar or the bag of chips. Because we want people to still be able to eat the chocolate bar and the bag of chips. They are there because they're delicious. And sometimes Doritos or a coffee crisp is just what you want, but it has to be because it's what you want and not because it's what you need. It's there to be enjoyed and to add that little je ne sais quoi to life. Because honestly, as much as I like broccoli, it's not my go-to food when I want to have like an enjoyable, like, "Mm, I'm going to sit down in front of the TV and eat a bag of broccoli. This is not going to happen. So just recognize that, get there, be comfortable with it. Start to change the language that you use to describe the food choices that you're making and start to change the language that you use to describe yourself when you're eating those things. You're not better than the next person because you're eating kale and you're not worse than the next person because you're eating Cheetos. That pretty much wraps up our look at the different kinds of hunger And now we're throwing that proverbial ball back into your court so that you can take a look at those handouts and do some of that reflection and introspection. Do the work to help you to identify when and why you eat and try to get a handle on those activators because we all have them. But be patient. Rome wasn't built in a day, so it's going to take some time for your habits and behaviors and activators and coping strategies that you've had a lifetime to work on to change. It's even going to take some time to identify them. So just be patient one situation at a time, one day at a time, one bag of chips at a time. But we, Heather and I, know that you've got this. We hope to have you back for the final episode in the series when we close our discussion looking at new beginnings. We're going to move to, in the words of North, as he talks to Jack Frost from The Rise of the Guardians. Great kids movie, by the way. Highly recommended for kids and adults. But he says, it's okay, Jack. 
we are going to wipe clean the slate. And that's what we're going to do in the last episode. So enjoy, take care and catch you next time.